Recovery from Anything features real stories that some listeners might find distressing. Check the show notes for specific content warnings and information on support services. My doctors and nurses were always saying to me, you know, you can do anything. Don't let your diabetes hold you back. I felt guilty whenever I found it hard. I didn't want to deal with it anymore. So I just pretended it didn't exist. <laughs> pretended I didn't have this illness that was supposed to be one of the biggest things in my, in my life. Welcome to Recovery From Anything. I'm your host, Abby Felton. Most people know what it's like to not take care of themselves. Perhaps you don't get enough sleep, or you work too much, or you strayed from that healthy eating plan you swore you would stick to. Or maybe you're like me, and drank yourself into oblivion every day of the week, existing entirely in a diet of vodka, pizza and crack. If you live with a chronic illness, you'll understand the weight of managing your condition and looking after yourself day to day. So what would happen if you were struggling with anxiety and depression too? And what if the ways that those mental health issues presented themselves were through self-harm, in the form of withholding your own medication? Here's Jenny Bell. So I was fine until I was nine. I remember being really sick. I had lost loads of weight, I had no energy. I vaguely remember my mum taking me to the doctors and then taking me to the hospital. They did all the tests and they were kind of like, this is really bad, we don't know how you're not in a coma. And that was when I was first diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And at first it wasn't too bad. I was like learning to deal with it. I was taking my insulin. I was feeling better and it was amazing and had energy again and I could live my life. But then I started getting really sick again. About 18 months later, I ended up in hospital again for quite a long time. When I was in Leather and I was diagnosed with celiac disease, you know, at school, I had to go to the nurse's office every, every time, every, before every meal. And I think I really struggled with that, actually, because it made me feel different. And I hated feeling different to everyone else because I never felt like I fit in all the way through school, even into uni in my 20s. Like, I always had friends and had a good time, but I always felt feel like I was trying to be not myself. Medical professionals, my doctors and nurses were always saying to me, you know, you can do anything. Don't let your diabetes hold you back. But then it made me feel bad when I struggled. <laughs> like I felt really guilty for struggling. It made me feel like I was a bad diabetic. It made me feel like I shouldn't. I shouldn't be struggling. Like I even at one summer, I went to a diabetes camp and everyone seemed to be doing fine. And it was really tough that I felt like I was struggling. And I wish someone had said to me that it's okay, it's really shit that you've got something that you have has to be the first thing you think about when you wake up, has to be the last thing you think about when you go to bed. You have to think about it 20 times a day. You have to make decisions about it 20 times a day. And if you don't, you'll die. And you have to do that from now every day for the rest of your life. It's okay for that to hold you back sometimes. It's okay for that to be really hard sometimes. I felt guilty whenever I found it hard. And then I kind of went into a spiral of feeling guilty and feeling rubbish and then not wanting to look after myself even more. When I was a teenager, I stopped taking my insulin. I had a couple of really significant deaths. And I think that combined with the medical diagnosis I'd had, I started having depressive episodes and I started having anxiety. I was really down. I was really struggling and I didn't know what to do and I didn't care what I did. So if you're not taking your insulin, you can't, in really simple terms, you can't extract energy from your food. 
Like all the sugar and carbohydrates from your food just hang around in your blood. So you just get really weak and then you start losing loads of weight. And eventually your body starts to eat, like break down your own muscles to get to try and get that energy, which produces ketones, which are like really, really poisonous and just make you feel worse and worse. And eventually you go into something called diabetic ketoacidosis, which is really dangerous and it can kill you and you can, it can go, you can go into a coma. One way that my anxiety and depression manifested was that I would binge eat when I was stressed and worried, which was a lot. Um, so I knew that when I did that, if I didn't take my insulin, I wouldn't put the weight on because I was making myself ill, basically. It does actually have a name. It's called diabulimia. It's really common among young people with diabetes. It kind of goes to show that that's where my priorities were, I think. Like I was putting being thin and therefore, like, in quotes, better, which we know is not true. I was putting that over my actual health and I was making myself sick in more ways. As a diabetic not taking her insulin, Jenny did achieve her weight loss goals. But she was also repeatedly hospitalised. Doctors would put her on an insulin drip, which caused her to get better, only for Jenny to go home, refrain from taking her medication and get sent back to hospital. This cycle repeated itself again and again until the problem became apparent. It was Jenny making herself sick. 100% it was self-harm. Like, I knew I was doing it, obviously, but I couldn't tell you why, really. When it all came out, I got sent to therapy and they, they put me on Prozac when I was 14. I just went completely numb then. And things did get better because I was numb and I kind of buried everything. I can remember even lying in therapy because I, was, I, couldn't, I couldn't explain it then why I was doing what I was doing. So I just pretended like I was feeling better. I pushed a lot of stuff down at that point and... I did start taking my insulin again. And some, the time when I was at school, I was in a much, much better place. And then I went to uni. And that's where I started not looking after myself again. I started drinking a lot. And like my health wasn't a priority anymore. I started eating gluten. I did that for 10 years. I carried on eating gluten when I shouldn't. It's really bad for me. I barely checked my blood sugar levels. I'd just skip insulin. Like I'd forget to take it out with me for a whole day and just not worry about it. I was definitely dealing with my depression and anxiety through all that time as well. I think I just pushed it all to the back of my mind. There was more important things in my life. Like my friends, having a good time, being cool. That all seemed more important to me than looking after my health. Even if like I had a problem, I'd never say. I don't know, I just never wanted people to be like, oh, okay, we'll go sit you down, we'll go have some insulin. I didn't want to do that. I just wanted to party. I just wanted to be normal. I just wanted to be able to do the same things as everyone else. But my head was in the sand about my health, really. I wasn't looking after myself. Like I'd have bouts of dealing with really bad depression and not getting out of bed for ages and losing jobs and having breakdowns. You know, sometimes I'd go to the doctors then and they'd basically go, oh, why haven't you seen a consultant for two years? You're the youngest patient we've got dealing with this. And that made me feel rubbish because I'm like, yeah, I, I already know that I've not been looking after myself. <laughs> You know, they're being, you know, say to me, why haven't you been to appointments? Why haven't you been dealing with this? And well, because I've been really struggling. <laughs> I just bury my head back in the sand and not go to my next appointment. <laughs> they do my blood test and they'd be like, you know, you do still have celiac disease. You're obviously eating gluten. You know, your diabetes tests are not what they should be. And then I'd feel guilty. I'd feel ashamed. And I wouldn't go to the next appointment because I didn't want to hear it again. During my late 20s, I think I'd have these moments of clarity where I'd be like, I'm just, I'm not going to grow old. 
if I carry on like this. I can already feel how tired my body is. I can feel like I found it really hard to put on muscle because my body wasn't getting the, the, the care and nourishment that I needed to be able to be healthy. I had, I had realized that I needed to change some things. I'd left the hospitality industry, which was not a place where I had a good lifestyle. And it was a really easy to lead a bad lifestyle in that because there's always people drinking, there's always people going to parties any night of the week. But I still hadn't fully acknowledged the extent of my problems. I still hadn't gone to a doctor. And there were loads of new diabetes developments by that time. And you could get insulin pumps, you could get constant glucose monitors. And I just hadn't fought for those things because I, 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 like, I, got, I wasn't making it a priority. I wasn't, that wasn't at the top of my list of things to spend my money on or spend my time on. It, it really was at the bottom of my list. I was doing the bare minimum and I still wasn't checking my blood sugars as often as I should. So I, quite a lot of the time, I just wouldn't know what my, what my blood sugar levels were. I, I decided to leave London. I was like, London's not a good place for me. I'm really anxious here. There's always too much going on. I want to move back to the seaside. And I'd made that decision. And then COVID happened. I went to my mum's for the first lockdown in, in the countryside of Yorkshire. And that was where I had the first hemorrhage in my first eye. So I woke up one morning with blurry vision. and by the end of the day, my eyes completely filled with blood. So all I could see out of that eye was blood, which is a complication of not looking after your diabetes. It was really, really scary, obviously. It's really scary. I was just as scared of telling my mum as I was of the actual eye problem. Not because she was going to react any way other than supportive, but because I felt so guilty that I knew that my actions had led to that. And I also had known that my actions were going to lead to that. I let my mum come downstairs. I made her a cup of tea. I waited like an hour. All this time I had blurry eye. And then I was like, I'm trying really hard not to freak out, but I can't see out of my right eye. And I think it's related to her diabetes complications. She was like, right, okay. So who do you see for your eyes? Because I had already known that there was the beginnings of problems in my eyes from checks that I'd had in London. I'd had laser on the back of my eyes to try and solve the problems, but it just got worse. So I ended up having a video appointment with Moorfield's Eye Hospital in London that morning. He referred me to an eye, a hospital up, up north in Middlesbrough. And we went there the next day. And I think it was in two, two weeks later, I had the surgery. I'm going to jump in here and let you know that the next part of Jenny's story includes a description of her eye surgery. If you don't like people touching your eyeballs or anything to do with eyeballs, maybe just skip ahead. So the problems that were happening were on the retina, so the back of my eye. So what they had to do is put, they basically put a little hoover in my eye and sucked out all the eye jelly and then put a little scalpel in to like operate on the back of my eye, like through little holes in the side. It was really traumatic. It was really traumatic there because you're awake the whole time. And I think it was made much worse by the fact that I was dealing with all of the like mental load of it as well. And I was, I'd started to unpick all of the guilt and I'd started to unpick all of the past and all of the reasons. And I was I'm really fragile <laughs> mentally and physically. And after the surgery as well, because so they've, they've taken all the eye jelly out, they fill your eye with air and air bubble. And then your eye slowly refills the eye jelly. But to make that work, you have to lie down for like 50% of the time. For half an hour out of every hour, you have to lie face down. So the air bubbles go like going to the back. So I had a lot of time to think about stuff. 
while I was lying face down. <laughs> what was running through your mind? I just realized I needed to put my health first and slow down. Uh, this is one kind of complication that can happen with diabetes. You can have problems with your kidneys. You can have problems with your heart. You can have problems with your nerves. There's a lot of things that can go wrong. But I, I just, I really realized that I needed to reassess how I felt about myself. Because, okay, sure, it was because of the hedonism. Sure, it was because of the partying and the going out and they're trying to be cool. But that's to do with self-esteem. Like if I really, like I had realized I had to really love myself to start putting myself first again. A lot of it was just denial. Like at one point it started and then it got worse and it got worse and it got worse. And then I didn't want to deal with it anymore. So I just pretended it didn't exist. <laughs> pretended I didn't have this illness that was supposed to be one of the biggest things in my, in my life. Yeah, I think that a lot of it came from the shame. I knew that if I had, if I admitted, as soon as I admitted that I hadn't been looking after myself, I was going to have to deal with all these other feelings and all this other grief and all this other rubbish. And I'd have to admit that I hadn't been looking after myself for a long time. And I'd have to firstly tell all my friends and my family that I hadn't been looking after myself. And I'd have to tell medical professionals that I wasn't looking after myself. And I, I wasn't ready to do it until I had to. <laughs> it's, it's quite a lot like alcoholism, really, in a way. Drinking to deal with the shame. But as long as you keep on drinking, then you don't have to face up to what you've done and face up to all your other feelings. And you don't have to admit to your friends and family that you've lost control of your drinking. That's definitely one of the reasons why I kept drinking. That's <laughs> like, I don't want to face reality. Like, I just don't, I don't, I don't want to do it. I'm not doing it. After her surgery, Jenny returned to London briefly to figure out her next move. She saw her friends and started a relationship. But then her other eye hemorrhaged. It was easier the second time around, she told me. I was more in control. I was taking care of my diabetes. I was going to see a consultant. I was fighting for an insulin pump. I, was, I had a constant glucose monitor, which meant that my blood sugar was constantly being fired to my phone so that I always knew what it was and it would beep for me if it went wrong. I was in therapy as well at that point. I was actually talking about my feelings and I was talking about my guilt and I was talking about my childhood. What was the turning point? I just realised I needed to slow down. I was realising also that even though all that time I hadn't been looking after myself, I'd just been having fun and having a lovely time. Like I was doing the best I could. Like underlying, I was still dealing with my depression. I was still dealing with my anxiety. I was still dealing with unresolved trauma. And I started to actually forgive myself. That's been the hardest thing, dealing with the guilt and forgiving myself. For me, it had to start with caring about myself. Like it starts with love. And the start of that was taking care, starting to take care of my diabetes again. And then going, what else can I do? To make myself better, I started exercising. I moved to the seaside. I started doing the things that were going to make me feel better in the long run. In the past, if I'd had a bad diabetes day, I would let that get to me and it would turn into a, a, a bad diabetes week or a month and then years. Whereas now, I just go, it's okay. Like, you're not a bad diabetic. There's no such thing as a bad diabetic. It's okay to have a bad day. You can just... Do your best you can and then wake up the next day and it's a new day and you do the best thing you can that day. And I think caring for myself again made me forgive all of the past me's right from being when I was 13, 14. Because I know where she was coming from deep down. But that's been the hardest bit, along with dealing with the guilt, the guilt that this has been my fault, 
that this is, I've put my parents through this, that I've put myself through this. And it's all the same process, really. Actually properly loving myself has been the biggest healing thing for me. Now, I am happy, I think. Like, it's still a process. I still have days. But I think this is the most comfortable in myself I've ever been. Now, I am looking out my window at the Kent Downs and the other way is the sea. <laughs> and I walk my two dogs every day and I go to the gym and I'm running a 10K. And you know what the crazy thing is? I haven't lost my friends, the ones that I wanted. You know, I think I was worried that if I stopped going out, like those people wouldn't want to hang out with me anymore, but we're here and we're still friends. And their lives have changed. Like everyone's grown up. I'm kind to myself now. I still sometimes get guilty and anxious, but then I forgive myself for feeling guilty and anxious now, whereas I never used to. Like if I had bad days, I would turn them into more bad days. But now I put me first. I put my health first. I'm changing careers to something that is going to actually allow me to take care of myself and rest when I need to rest and take time off when I need to take time off. So I'm going to be a celebrant. So conduct weddings, life celebrations, because nothing's going to be sad about my <laughs> the funerals that I conduct. I have a lot more joy now. I want to make people feel good. Like what better way than conducting someone's wedding and making it about them, making it their perfect day? Like how I just can't think of anything more rewarding. And practically, it, it works really well because it means, you know, I can only take on as many jobs as I take on. The admin can kind of be more flexible. And if I'm really struggling, I can do it on a day I'm feeling better. Some days I feel crap and this way I don't have to do that. Healing my relationship with myself and with my body, and now appreciate my body. I wouldn't go as far as to say I love it, and that's still a work in progress. But we're in it together, and I'm healthier, and I'm stronger than I've ever been, and I want to let my body destroy itself and destroy me. And I've realised I'm actually worth putting that effort into. That's a really big thing. Diabetes can still be shit, and anxiety and depression can still be shit, but I'm more than all of those things put together. And I'm worth putting in the work to be more. Recovery means to me that now I get to look forward to the future. I get to know that I'm doing everything that I can do for myself. But the future doesn't scare me because I don't know what's going to happen. And I know that there's all this stuff to come out, which hasn't come out. It means that I, get, I know I get to be happy now. You've been listening to Recovery From Anything. I'm your host, Abby Feltham. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review the show and join the community on Instagram at Recovery From Anything. You can find out more about this week's storyteller or submit a story of your own on our website, recoveryfromanything.com. Thank you for listening.